If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after he comes, a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, who on, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. This is the word of God. Great to be with you. It's good to be continuing this series on the names of Jesus. If you missed last week, you missed a bomb of a message. Greg Nelson, uh, just an incredible message that he shared with us last week. You really should go online and listen uh, to that. I was so blessed by it. I heard the same from a number of people uh, who were here. So if you missed that, make sure you catch it. Also, while you're there, uh, you might as well check out the baptisms that happened last week. That was exciting. Check out the podcast for the Advent devotional. Just check it all out while you're online. Um, As Greg said last week, Advent is a time of great anticipation where Jesus has come and Jesus is coming. And we're in this season of anticipating his soon return. And he compared the the coming again of Jesus to that of a, sorry, the coming again, the anticipation of that to that of a 39.5 week pregnant woman. And my wife has been pregnant uh, and given birth twice. And both times our kids were late. And the first time, 12 days late. Second time, three days late. Uh, that first time, you know, the doctor told me, he said, hey, 95% uh, success rate if you do acupressure, uh, you know, from week 40 on. So week 40, if you start doing acupressure on your wife within 24 hours, 95% chance she's going to give birth. And I was like, sweet, I got this. And uh, day one, acupressure. Day two, acupressure. Day three, she's like, push harder. Day four, <laughs> acupressure, you know. By day 12, I'm like, babe, my thumbs are dislocated. Your ankles are permanently dented. Like, I don't know if, we, if this is going to work, you know. And uh, so 90, we, were the 90, we were the 0.01, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, it's amazing the, the amount of anticipation when your baby is coming. And, you know, babies are never late. They come when they want. Uh, people tell you that when your babies are late, which isn't helpful, you know, because it's like, yeah, say that when you're waiting, you know, but... Uh, yeah, but next time we're waiting on your paycheck, I'm gonna be like, comes when it wants, never late, you know? Uh, you know, my wife, she's like quoting scripture to her womb. She's like, children, obey your parents for this is, you know, the only command with a promise. She's like, I love you. Mommy loves you. I want you to obey God. So get out, you know, like 
There's anticipation. It's a great analogy. Anticipation with a pregnant uh, woman. And, uh, you know, but once the baby comes, once you're holding the baby, the, the, the waiting is like as nothing. Like, you don't even remember the waiting. Matter of fact, long enough goes by, you don't even remember the pain. And you're all snuggled up with your baby, and you're going, baby, let's do this again. <laughs> and then 39 weeks come again, and she's like, what'd you do to me? You know, year goes by, and you're like, let's do it again. And the, the waiting is overcome by the arrival. You don't remember, the waiting's as nothing. And that's exactly how it is with Jesus. That's exactly how it was in John chapter one, because uh, John has been waiting. God's people have been waiting. It's been over 400 years since God has said a word to his people. Not an encouragement from heaven, not even a warning from heaven. No, no words whatsoever from God to his people for 400 years. For 400 years, heaven was silent towards earth. But the message uh, coming up to that 400 years of silence was, was crystal clear. From the third chapter of our Bibles through to the prophet Isaiah, through to the 400 years of waiting, the message was crystal clear. And that message was that our sin, our putting ourselves first before God, what was not just a little mistake that we made. It was actually us choosing ourselves over choosing God himself. It, 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 was, it was us listening to the words of Satan, like Adam and Eve did there in the garden in Genesis chapter three, rather than listening to the words of God himself, the alpha and the omega, the, the beginning and the end, the one who created us from himself in his image. We listen to Satan instead of him. And you may be sitting there and you're like, whoa, 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 Dylan. Like, you know, I'm a little selfish sometimes. Like, yeah, maybe I jump to the front of the line now and then. Or, you know what, like, maybe I, I do want, you know, that I want my stuff. Like, I want that Christmas gift and, and I want them to buy it. And I might be mad if they don't, but listening to Satan. I mean, Dylan, you know, I'm a, I'm a self-respecting modern American. Like, I, I don't listen to Satan. But as, actually, that's exactly what we do when we put ourselves before God. You know, Satan's smart. He didn't come to Adam and Eve in his red suit with his horns and like, come follow me, I'm better than God. You know, you want me, you know, I'm, I, you, I'll give you life. I'll give you, you like my horns? I'll give you life. I'll give you peace. And every, you're laughing, not because it's funny, but because it's sad. I know, I get it. It's okay, it's okay. He doesn't come like that. He doesn't, he doesn't come with his Darth Vader mask. You're like, come follow me. You know, he doesn't do that. You know, he, he comes and doesn't even make it about him. He makes it about them. He says, you, you, you guys are smart people. You don't need God. Like you got the tree, right? Look at this tree. The tree looks good. That fruit looks good. I bet you want some of that fruit, don't you? That fruit would be so juicy in your mouth. I was just watching Sesame Street with my daughter the other day. And, you know, they said, uh, I want a treat that's, that's crispy and sweet. You know, and, and they... they <laughs> They go to the bananas and they say it's sweet, but not crispy. And, but I, but I want, but they go to the pickles. It's, cr it's crunchy, but not sweet. I want one that's crunchy and sweet. And it's an apple. What do you know? You know, the apples, I bet Satan was playing that with them too. Like, you want something that's crunchy and sweet. I got the thing for you. And he is just playing on, on their desires. He's, he said, you don't need God. You have you. You have you. You're great. You're awesome. You deserve it. And they fall for the lie. And it's the same lie he's whispering in our ears today. 
I mean, who needs God when you've got a great career and a lot of money, right? I mean, we never say that, but we, we act like it sometimes, don't we? I mean, you know, and it's, it's kind of like when God comes tapping on our shoulder and he's like, hey, you said you, you give your whole self to me. How about that 401k? I'll have that. You know, we, that hap- if that happened to you, we turn into toddlers right away. We're just like, nope, mine, mine, that's mine. That's God, that's mine. God, you can have, you know, I, I did a little here, I did, but that's mine. Or the list goes on. I mean, whether it be our relationships, our sexuality, our body image, our kids, our spouse, our career, whatever it is, when we put ourselves first before God in our lives, and all those things are actually good things. They can be gifts from God. But when we put them first before God himself, we, we enter into that same story that Adam and Eve entered into, a story of turning our, our hearts away from God, the creator, and to ourselves to put ourselves in the place of God to where we, we think, we deceive ourselves, we don't really need God in our lives. And then the bad news is that the Bible calls this sin, and our sin wasn't just a little mistake. You know, sometimes we treat sin like I treat my daughter spilling her cup of water, like, oh, okay, it's a little annoying for dad, but just a little oopsie, you know, not a big deal, we'll get it cleaned up. And sometimes we talk about our sin like that. Like, we're like, oh, I made a mistake. I kind of slipped up. It's like, you didn't slip up. You spit in God's face. You turned your back on him. And you said, I want nothing to do with you. I'm doing my thing. Like, I didn't slip up. I didn't trip. I didn't just fall a bit. No, like we sin. And the, the faster we can own that, the faster we can receive the grace and mercy of God into our lives. Romans chapter three tells us that the wages of our sin is death that the wages of our sin is death, that the offense against God is so offensive. It's so filthy. It's so grotesque. It's, it, it, it's so irredeemable that the, the reward for it is death. And even the, the things we do to try and like climb that ladder back to God, like, oh God, I'll be good enough for you. And I'll, I'll go to church and I'll be a good Christian. And I'll kind of make up for my past life. I'll kind of make up for the things I've done before. Oh, I kind of, I've slipped again, you know, so I'm going to be good this time. God's like, that's filthy rags to me. Like you bringing your good deeds to me, thinking that's going to make me pleased with you. It's, 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 so, uh, it's so humiliating. Like, like, take a look at who you are compared to me. That's filthy rags to me. And so there's, there's no hope for us except that someone else might step in, that someone else might come and save us from our sinfulness. And so this phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, it may not mean much to us as modern, you know, 2018 American readers, but to his audience, the audience that John is preaching to, this was a big deal. I mean, the Lamb of God meant everything to the audience that John was preaching to. And I just want to take some time to walk us through that, that we might behold Jesus, the Lamb of God that John is talking about in this passage, that we might take the name of Jesus as the Lamb of God and grab hold of it, that, that like Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, that the invisible God become visible to us. And the invisible God becomes visible in the person of Jesus Christ. And these names of his that we're walking through, they're like handles where we can get a hold of who he is. So I just wanna walk us through the Lamb of God as we see him throughout the Old Testament. Which will, which will illuminate to us who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so you had the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. You know, this is after God warns Pharaoh and the Egyptians with nine terrible plagues. It's God's mercy to them that he starts with nine plagues before he gets to the last one. And they refuse to turn from their sin and turn to God and let his people go. It's as though God, after the nine plagues, finally throws his hands up and says, okay, 
Like if you want to play hardball, if you want to do it your way, then you can have it your way. If you want to keep walking in your sin, then you know what? You can have the reward of your sin. And actually, he's still merciful once again because he doesn't bring death to all of Egypt. He just says, I'm going to bring death to every firstborn son of every Egyptian household. And so he calls the angel of death, the destroyer. He says, okay, destroyer, tomorrow night, you're going to go out. Every Egyptian household, I want you to bring death to the firstborn son. But he wants to make sure that the Israelite households, those who are believers in God, that that their firstborn isn't taken with the firstborn of Egypt. And so he says, look, I'm going to provide a sacrifice for the sons of the Israelite households. And the sacrifice is going to be a lamb. And so he speaks to the Israelites and he says, you, you, need, to, you need to sacrifice a lamb without blemish, spotless, and put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house. And if you put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house, when the, the angel of death comes by, he'll pass over. He won't enter into your house and take your son. He'll pass over because the lamb gave its life so that your son didn't have to give his. And check this, this is amazing grace because the provision is anyone who gives a lamb and puts the blood of the lamb on the door of their house. If an Egyptian would have said, I want to believe in the God of Israel. I believe that this is the true God and I want to put my trust in him and stop living for myself. If an Egyptian would have done that, they could have sacrificed a lamb and they could have spared their son. It's the mercy of God that he makes a provision, both for the Egyptian and the Israelites, whoever would trust in him. And so the angel of death comes. We wake up the next morning. The Israelites, they look, their sons are alive. God has spared them. He's passed over them. It's great celebration in those households. But there is a crying out in every Egyptian household because the angel of death has come and the firstborn son has died. To put this in perspective, I'm the firstborn son in my family. My son, my four-month-old son, Hudson, Gabriel, Michael, Neely, my boy. I'm so proud of him. I was showing people videos of him this morning. Just like, oh, look at him kick. He's like, he's going to be a soccer player, you know. (laughs) If we lived in that day, the lamb would have been the the only provision I had to save my son. And as I sat at the table, because then, from then on out, God's people for four, over 1,400 years celebrated the Passover meal to remember that God spared the first, firstborn son of Israel, to remember that, that God gave a substitute for their sins, that God allowed a sacrifice to be made that their sons might be spared. They would sit at the table and they would take the bread and remember the lamb's body that was given. And they would take the cup and remember the lamb's blood that was spilled. And remember that he spared the life of their children and he's continuing to spare their lives because of the sacrifice of the lamb. I can't imagine as as a dad to Hudson, sitting at the table, looking at this lamb and looking at the blood that was spilled and thinking to myself, this was given that my son didn't have to be. And that's the emotion that they would have felt when they thought of the lamb of God. And then this, this, this initiates... In the Jewish culture, the, the sacrifice of the lamb for the sins of the people. And so it becomes a cornerstone in the Jewish culture. And so you have the, the lamb in Exodus 29, which is the lamb of the morning and the evening sacrifice. Every morning and every evening, the priest would enter in and he would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. Because as we know, none of us have it figured out. None of us have arrived yet. We continue to sin. 
And so every morning and every evening, the priest would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. The Jewish calendar, it's filled with feast. Every feast, I mean, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, every feast, seven to 14 lambs would be sacrificed at all these feasts for the sins of the people. The lamb was the central figure in God's forgiveness of God's people. And so to the Jewish culture, the lamb meant everything. And you speed ahead, you go to the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah prophesies of a lamb that will come that will be different from all other lambs. Because this lamb, this lamb will not be an animal, but this lamb will be a man. And this man will not have to continually make sacrifices for the sins of the people, but, but this man will make one sacrifice for all. This man will not make a sacrifice for just one particular people in one particular place in one particular time in history, but, but he will make a sacrifice for all people in all places in all time in history. And so Isaiah prophesies of this man who, who will become the lamb of God. And he says, but he, he, he's prophetically seeing it as, as though it's happening. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. This man who's God, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. This, this, this Advent reading we did, and this candle that we lit, it's the candle of peace. Well, well, it's the punishment that Jesus received on our behalf that allows us to have peace with God. Before, we didn't have peace with God. There was a dividing wall of hostility between us and God and between us and each other. And, and Jesus, through his receiving the punishment of God for our sins, has made it possible for us to have peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Say all. all. Say we. we. We've all gone astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all deserve death for our sin. We've all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. You can only describe what Jesus took on the cross as a slaughtering of a man, that, that a man would be beaten and whipped and mocked and spit upon, that a man would have nails driven into his hands and into his feet, that he would be lifted up on a cross that they might mock him more that he would be publicly shamed and crucified for your sins and mine, for the sins of the world. He was slaughtered and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't make a defense. He didn't call down legions of angels, although he could have, because he was our substitute going in our place for our sin. He didn't make a defense because he knew that we were defenseless. We had no defense to make. He had every defense to make. He's the perfect son of God who's sinless. And yet he stood in our place on the cross, silent, just taking it, just taking the shame, taking the guilt, taking the hatred of the father, just taking the punishment for our sin. And he just took it and he took it and he took it until he cried out and he said, Abba, why have you forsaken me? The son of God who knew nothing but the love and the intimacy and the acceptance of the father his whole life says the father looked away from him in disgust 
because he who knew no sin became the essence of sin for us. I mean, friends, like this is incredible. And so when John says, behold, the the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John's saying all these years we've waited All these prophecies spoken, all all these lambs that that were sacrificed again and again, they're but shadows. The substance is here. He's here. This isn't a man. This isn't just my cousin. John said, this is is the lamb of God. And, And he has come to take away the sins of the world. I mean, this is the one, like John was just talking about the light of the world and the word of God become flesh. John's saying, this is, this is him. This is the son of God himself. And so when he says, behold, when he says, behold, this isn't John just like in his prayer closet. This isn't John just like whispering to himself or quietly contemplating the realities of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not him just like mulling over, wow, all the prophetic promises fulfilled, the the lamb of God. He's not quietly saying this. When John says this, he's saying, behold, look, pay attention, focus, set aside everything else. The, the lamb has come. And then he, he gives us this, this foreshadowing. It's actually a prophetic vision in the book of Revelation. The, the last book in our Bible is the revelation of John. God revealed to him what things were going to be like in the last days and then in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and John says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes, robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I love this because just before this in John, in Revelation 7, John sees this multitude and he says there's 12 tribes, 12,000 people in each tribe, 144,000 people. And yet here he's like, there's a great multitude no one could number. So he sees one gathering, 144,000, easy math. He sees another gathering and says no one could ever number how many people are in this place. And then he, and then he says from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, There will be around the throne of Jesus in the last days, people from every people group on planet earth. I love that our salvation, that this this message, this good news of Jesus Christ, our faith, it's not just for a particular people or a particular type of person or or people who got their lives cleaned up or, or people from a certain nationality. No, no, this message of the forgiveness of God is for the world. And there will be around that throne people of every ethnic background you could ever imagine. I heard one preacher say, he said, it's not multi-ethnic. That's not big enough. It's omni-ethnic. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and yet they have this one united voice saying salvation belongs to God and to the lamb. This lamb takes away the sins of the whole world. And this isn't just the the prophets speaking about the lamb to come. This isn't just John speaking of the lamb to come. Jesus himself, 
the night before he was betrayed, he gathered his disciples to that Passover meal as all the other Jews were celebrating. And he gathered his disciples together and they, they had the bread and they had the cup. And at the right time, as, as their rabbi, their teacher, he stood up and he presided over the meal. And at the right time in the ceremony, he, he stood up and he took the bread. And it says, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 1400 years, the Jewish people group has, had celebrated this Passover meal up to that moment. And Jesus in that moment says, it's no longer about the lambs that were sacrificed on that night. It's now about the sacrifice I'll make tomorrow night. And, and since that time in history, the people of God have been taking the bread and the cup, remembering the death and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. We'll take it today. We will take of the bread of Jesus Christ, remembering that he gave his body on the cross, that, that he didn't just come preaching good advice. He came preaching good news, that he would stand in our place and we'll take of the cup, remembering that he spilled his blood, that, the, that God himself gave his only son. So not only we didn't have to give our sons, but that we wouldn't have to give our own lives. And John, when, when, he, when he sees this, when he prophetically sees that my cousin Jesus, he's the lamb. He calls the people around him to behold. And behold is, it's a word we don't, we don't use a lot, but if if you think about a groom on his wedding day, you know, when the doors open and the bride comes in, the groom beholds his bride. He doesn't care about anything else. He doesn't care what you're doing unless your phone goes off. He's gonna be mad at you. He doesn't care. He cares about his bride. He's beholding his bride. His attention is focused on his bride. I hope he should be. He's gazing at her, at her beauty. He's taking it in. Or it's like if you're, if you're at the edge of the Grand Canyon you're, and you're looking into the Grand Canyon, you're behold, wow, this is amazing. It's so big. It's huge. Like if I were to fall in, well, you know what? Like your mind is set. If you're at the foot of Everest, if you're, if you're on the shore of a beach of this massive ocean and the sun is set, you're beholding, wow, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. Your gaze is fixed. And so Johnny's saying, focus your attention. You know, it's like when you're watching the game and, and it's your team. And it's, and it's the big game. You know, it's the Super Bowl. It's the World Series. And, and, and your favorite player, they make the, the play of the century. You know, and, and you're watching your buddies over there eating cheese dip. You know, just like, oh, slamming the cheese dip. And, and they make the play. And you're like, bro, you got to watch this. You gotta, come here, come here. You know, and, and he's like, oh, I got another. You're like, get, set the cheese down and come look at this play. You know, because you know they're going to replay that thing like 10 times. Like, I want him to see it every single time. You know, his team just got whooped by my team and, and he needs to behold this. Well, that John's like, set, set aside everything else. Like, set your phone down for a second. Stop thinking about what your boss is thinking or, or whoever else is. Like, stop, stop worrying. Set the stress aside. Set your, set your burdens aside and just behold that the Lamb of God, who we've been waiting for for hundreds of years, has come. And then he says this in John 13, one, he says it at the end, John 1, 34, he says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. When we give ourselves to beholding the Lamb, we can't help but bear witness to the Lamb. 
And it's important that we do because the Apostle John in the last book of our Bibles, the book of Revelation, he says that this lamb, Jesus, has a book. And it's the book of life. And that if your name isn't written in the book of life, that you will not be with him. You will not receive forgiveness. You will not have eternal life with God. If your name is not written in the book of life, you will get what your sins deserve. You will get death and death forevermore. You will be punished by God for your sin because you, instead of receiving the gift of the lamb and getting your name written in the book, you rejected the gift of the lamb. And there could be a million reasons why you reject the gift of the lamb. You may reject the gift of the lamb because you're too prideful and you think you can appeal to God based on your own goodness or morality. Your name's not written in the book. You may reject the gift of the lamb because you think you're so awful and so sinful he could never receive you. You may reject the gift of the lamb because your skeptical mind just can't come to the place of believing that God could send his son and he would die for us and he would rise from the dead and all these things. Whatever your reason, if you don't receive the gift of the lamb, your name will not be written in the book of the lamb and you will not be with the lamb for eternity. You will forever be separated. You will forever receive your punishment of death. And, and that is a terrifying, terrifying thought. And I just want to invite you. If you're here today and you have never received the gift of Jesus Christ and you've never responded to him by surrendering your life to his lordship, I just want to invite you to take that step, to take the step of saying, God, I am so unworthy. I don't deserve your love. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. And I want to just paint in this moment the, the, door, the blood of Jesus Christ all over my life, God, in, in hopes that you would show me mercy. And I believe that the moment you do that, the moment you say, yes, Jesus, I want all of you and I give to you all that I am, that he will give you eternal life. He will write your name in his book, never to be removed. That he will forgive all your sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, and he'll give you a new heart and a new life. He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to begin walking with him in the power and the presence of God. I wanna invite you to take that step today. Towards the end, we're gonna do communion. During that communion time, you could take that step of saying, Jesus, I just wanna, I wanna receive all that you have for me and I wanna give my life to come follow you. But friends, this is also a terrifying thought for our friends and our family, for our coworkers, our neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ, who have not put their hope, who have not beheld the Lamb of God. And, and, and I, I'm so thankful that God has not left us helpless, that we can't help them to know this lamb. But he's given to us the same message that he gave to John, the, the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come to forgive the sins of the world. John, he didn't just see the lamb, he bore witness to the lamb. And it's the same message Paul speaks of in Romans 1.16 when he says, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is God's power to save anyone who would believe in it. And so you and I, with our friends and family, we have an opportunity to stand in the gap, to be a part of their story of coming to believe and behold the Lamb of God. How do we do it? We tell them the gospel. We tell them the good news that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he has come to forgive their sins. And I, I want to help us with this, because I know, I know those of us who know the Lamb, we know Jesus, we, we have friends, we have family, that, that we want them to know him. And sometimes it's hard to know, what do I do? How do I share? How do I, you know? And so I just want us to write down two to three names, 
could write it on your hand. You could write it on your bulletin. You could put it in your phone. I don't care. But to write down two to three names. Right now, in this moment, to write down two to three names. Take that pen in the chair in front of you. Whatever you got to get to write down two to three. You could write down five, 10, 15, but really do it. Two to three names. Write them down. I want you to imagine as you're writing these people sitting with you and I, sitting here in a week, maybe two weeks at our Christmas service. I want you to imagine them hearing this message about the forgiveness and the life that is in Jesus and believing it and their lives being changed by it. I want you to imagine them them with you in the worship time, lifting their hands with tears running down their face because they're experiencing the love of the Lamb. I want you to imagine them in our baptismal tank publicly professing that Jesus is now their Lord and he has changed their entire lives. Now, I want you to imagine that because I I really believe that for some, the gap between that dream in our hearts and that becoming a reality is us bearing witness. And I say that not to lay a heavy burden on us because you know what? Those people are gonna be around that throne whether we're a part of the story or not. They're there. John saw it. It's done. But God is inviting us in to play a part in their story. And he's strategically placed us that we might be a part of bearing witness to them. And for some, it may be as simple as us telling them what the lamb has done for us. Us telling them, man, Jesus changed my life. He forgave my sin. I want to invite you to come and know him too. I want to invite you to come and experience what I've experienced. It could be as simple as taking one of those invites and handing it to someone and saying, man, I've been praying for you. And I just, I want to invite you to experience what I've experienced. I want you to invite, invite you to hear about my faith and just leave it in God's hands from there. I believe God wants to use us to bear witness to this lamb. And it's the natural response that we have when we see him. It's hard to see him and not want to bear witness.